Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Leviticus 11.44, be holy for I am holy. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. And you shall not make to yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm the earth. Leviticus 11.45, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. Today I've been called to speak to you about something that's pretty basic. Lots of us probably think it's remedial, common, even. I mean, it's pretty normal for the Christian. And in some sense, it pretty much is. Because it's part of the nature of God. It's part of the nature of being a Christian. It's fundamental to the Christian walk. And I'm speaking about, if you couldn't tell from the songs or, you know, the recent advocations, being holy. What we're going to try to do today is we're going to define holiness by what God's Word says about it. We're going to show who holiness applies. And then we're going to try and implement holiness in the Christian life and show an example of it. Okay? Follow along? We good? Yeah. All right. Number one, defining holiness. So, like, Christians use holiness a lot. It's a word we go through all the time. And you're going to see it applied to God a lot, too. Um, but no one really talks about what it means in Hebrew and its root. Now, the Hebrew word for holiness is kadash. And it actually, at its root, means to cut, to separate. And its application usually means to separate the divine from the common in position and to separate the divine from the common in purpose. So, as an example, when I was a little kid, my mom used to force me to eat broccoli because she hated me. And I would have to separate the broccoli tops from the stem to think that it was something special because somehow broccoli tastes different. You know, it hits different when you cut the top from and you just eat the bush part, you know what I mean? It made me feel like a giant. So, like, you know, grew big and strong, ate my broccoli, right? We're crushing it. But the point is, I say that because as I was separating the broccoli, I was taking away the stems I wasn't going to use and throwing them to one side, and the stems I was going to use, the, the bushy, sweet, fluffy part, I was going to eat and put to my own use, right? Holiness is kind of like that, where you cut away the unnecessary stump and you get the green, bushy goodness of God's character, okay? That's what holiness is. Holiness is applicable to anything God has consecrated to be set apart or separate from the world. Holiness in its simplest terms is being made separate in being, but also in purpose. Holiness is not just what you are, it's where you're going and to what means and to what end you're traveling to. So to this end, we've got to define what holiness is and who it applies to and what is not, what holiness is not, okay? So, who should be holy? Well, in Leviticus chapter 11, it starts out with them talking to Aaron and Moses. Why is this significant? Well, Aaron is the priest of God's people. Moses is the governor of God's people. And uh, the command goes to all of Israel. I think it's important to see who God's talking to because there's this idea that holiness only applies to a few people and it doesn't. Anybody in the church, anybody part of the body of Christ should be holy. Um, it's not just for, you know, the common lay people. It's also for the priests. And it's for the pastor. And it's for the rich man and the poor man. All who are part of the body are to be holy. Um, it doesn't matter your rank, how much money you make, what type of bank account you have, or what station or title you bear. You are to be holy if you were to be God's people because God is holy and he commanded you to do it. You need to be separated from the world and set apart to God. That's what holiness is. Amen. It's not a gray. 
it's black or white. Either you're shackling yourself up with God in his household or you're shackling yourself in slavery to the world. There's no in-between. You must be holy for God is holy. It's something imbued in you by God's purpose on your life. Who should be holy? Everybody. Everybody who's in God's kingdom. Everybody who bears God's image because God's image is holy. And what are we but image bearers of Christ? Christians. Little Christ. It goes back to the body. Paul uses the allegory of a body for the Christian, right? The church. Well, if you separate a finger, an organ, a heart, anything, any necessary part of the body from the brain, the head, it's not going to function. It's not going to have any purpose. It's just a cadaver. It's just a corpse. The same way, if you aren't attached to God in alignment with him, in alignment with the head, you're going to die purposeless and useless. You can't be holy unless you're attached to the body, to the head of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Moving on, holiness unapplied. There's this idea that holiness is pretty high standard to set because it's Jesus. But there's this idea that holiness can't be applied today. That's out of style. That doesn't apply because our culture continually seeks to manipulate us through the guise of politics or the media or really crippling materialism and consumer-based living to utterly crush the individual, to make him a passive consumer no different from those around him. The world ever more often seeks to conform us to its standard than allow us to be conformed to Christ. We have an entire month now dedicated to marketing evil. It's called Pride Month. It's literally named after a sin. But I'd go a step further. A lot of Christians are upset about that, and rightly they should be. But you could argue that the entire fiscal year of the American people and the world is based on evil. It sells us violence, sexual immorality, debauchery, and degeneracy in a nice little package, and we consume it continually every single attempt Every corporation, every live streaming service, every product you're offered is under this guise of uniqueness. But it's all the same message. It's all the same worldview. It's all rooted in the secular values, God-hating, anti-Lord values that the world promotes and preaches. And yet, they preach diversity of thought when they all hold the same values. That's interesting. But then you speak of holiness, right? You speak of holiness... And suddenly you find being set apart and being your own individual isn't going to be celebrated. It's going to be rejected outright because by its very nature, holiness means to be separate, to cut apart, to cause division. Holiness is being set apart from what is common. Sin is common. And even more importantly, holiness is to the end of a special purpose, a function, a means to an end. People are counter to holiness today because holiness is counter to their self-ascribed purpose. Okay? Holiness disputes and it utterly refutes the humdrum evil of today's postmodern world with something more scandalous than ever. Meaning derived not from the self, but from God. Amen. Why should we be holy? People often come with arguments about Leviticus chapter 11 and all the dietary restrictions, and they try to justify it. Rightly so. I mean, I'm a big fan of apologetics. I love arguing why I'm right. Anybody who knows me knows that's true. Because I'm always right, you know. But, goes without saying. I'm just joshing you. Of course I get you wrong. So, apologists have tried to justify the various Levitical laws. And they'll say, oh, well, it's a symbol, right? Or, oh, it's for health reasons or hygiene. Or, oh, it's for some deep theological quandary we just have to understand. I mean, the rabbis had lots of ways of interpreting Levitical laws. But here's the truth. God already told us what it's for. It's to make the people holy, mm. like him. Right. As for health, what's healthier than abiding by God? Mm. As for a symbol, what symbolizes God's character more than obedience to him? Amen. As for hygiene, there's nothing cleaner 
than abiding by the clean living standards Jesus Christ has set for us. There's nothing, all the standards that apologists or answers can make, that's great. But the end goal is holiness to provide all those things and more because it's attached to God's character and not some outward supporting structure. Right. Amen. Holiness is rooted in who God is, not what we do. Amen. That makes sense? Amen. The choice, you know I'll give a supporting reason though. The choice behind dietary laws, to me, is rooted in a real world example. Does anybody know who vegans are? Has anybody heard of vegans? When I go to an event with vegans, I'm immediately turned off because I'm like, oh, I sure do like eggs and bacon. Man, I, I just, I don't know if I can go to this event anymore. Even if they just have a vegan option, I'm like, no fun. I'm immediately turned off by it. Why? Because I'm accustomed to a certain diet, right? And I don't even want to associate with people that are different in that respect. I'd rather be with people who like to eat, you know, some of that sweet eggs and bacon goodness, some steak. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I kind of look at you. You can probably tell by looking at me, I enjoy the raw, unfiltered meat of processed food that America provides me. You know what I mean? So when someone says, oh, no, I don't eat. I don't eat meat. I don't think it's right. Um, immediately, I'm going, they're delineating themselves and putting themselves on a moral high ground. What have I told you? that uh, kosher is the original veganism, and it was designed to alienate the people of Israel from their pagan neighbors. See, pagans and pagan rituals tend to feature eating, right? It's a big part of life. I mean, everybody has to eat, everybody shares in that. So what could you do to keep pagans and God's people separate? Well, a very practical solution would keep them from eating at the same table. It's very hard to be influenced and marry into families when your dietary restrictions and your culture is so radically different that you won't want to associate with each other in the first place. Look, if I couldn't bond with some people over a delicious piece of steak, you know, we just wouldn't be friends. I just, <laughs> straight up, I can't, I can't deal with those people. I mean, some people have health restrictions or whatever. I'm just saying, I'm a, I'm a crippled, simple human being. Luckily, the Bible is written for people like me. You know what I mean? Like. What you can see is in all their surroundings, the people of Israel are surrounded by this pagan system of living, this pagan culture. And what God does is he introduces a sacredness to a simple act just like eating. Because God's nature doesn't change based on circumstance. He's holy all the time. Amen. Not just when it's convenient, not just when he has needs. When, when people of God have a need, we should be turning to God. We shouldn't be just turning to the world and what it says. Look at it today. It's still a sacred and intimate act. The church's communion is based on the act of eating. And it symbolizes Christ's blood and flesh spilled and broken for us. And you can't take it unworthily. Why? The significance of that can't be lost on us. It's still an act to take in, to obsist, to subsist off something. Right? Like the character of God requires holiness. Because you are what you eat. Right? If... You're going to take in godly influences and godly counsel and reflect godly values. You're going to be alienated from the culture you're in. Okay? That's the idea behind these dietary laws. It wasn't just for health or wealth or prosperity or whatever worldly thing you can think of. It was because God commanded it because they were supposed to reflect him. Here's what holiness isn't. Holiness is not spirituality. I'm going to repeat that again. Holiness is not spirituality. You see, in the context of Leviticus... He just let them out of Egypt. You know what Egypt had? Lots of spirituality. Any man can be spiritual 
And it is not uncommon in our age for men to adopt a shallow form of self-worship or pantheism in which they take all things to be holy and thus make themselves, nature, and the universe a sort of idol to worship and venerate. What results in making all things holy is that nothing is truly holy. Amen. Because Amen. nothing is truly separate from any other thing, either in purpose or function or end. We are all divine. We are all gods of our own image. And so the image of God is lost and set apart, and instead of partners is buried under by what is common. It's a subversion and outright cover-up of holiness, primarily used by those who know that in labeling all things holy, they remove any real distinction on the behalf of God. Notice, I do not ascribe ignorance to these people. People haven't been doing this just, oh, well, it's an accident. I just happened to worship myself. Look, I just threw the gold into a fire and a golden calf popped out. Oh, jeez. That's also a thing that happens in Exodus. They literally happen. I didn't mean to start worshiping the word, you know, the world. I just put it on a pedestal ahead of God. Yeah. And it just so happens to reflect me and all my values. Wow. Isn't that interesting? No, it's intentional. It's malicious because the heart of man is exceedingly deceitful and corrupt. And our tendency is to take the image of ourselves and transpose it on the universe rather than allowing God to transpose his image on us. Because it's easier for me to kick this bush over and reflect my will on the environment around me than it is for me to submit to the will of a truly holy, honest God of the universe. Nobody willingly wants to submit to God at base. That's to be transposed onto us, which is why holiness is not spirituality. Because it's not about you being holy enough. That's a lot. It was blatant, false, and death-worshipping spirituality of Egypt God sought to lead his people out of, not into. Holiness is not human works. Holiness is not human works. Some believe that by doing great deeds and feats of self-discipline, they might become holy. As if it was something you could earn. That's a lie. You'll often hear of feats performed by the monks of the Far East or the gurus of India, or even certain elements of Christianity throughout the ages. Walking on coals, charming snakes if you're Pentecostal, self-debasing every sort of ruling regime, and punishment is inflicted on the flesh of these people to prove their holiness before the world. But I'm telling you now that's a delusion. Holiness can't be achieved through the discipline of the flesh. No amount of fasting, training, snake charming, or physical punishment can serve to give value to a man outside of what is common to him. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There have been countless examples of men who took it upon themselves, the most grueling of regimens, to achieve their goals. But not a one of them could come even a step closer to holiness without the grace of God. Amen. We see that the children of Israel again and again were commanded to be holy. And what did they do? They attempted to do it by doing the exact opposite of what God commanded. The premier example of this I referenced before is the building of the golden calf. To worship in place of God. God wasn't pleased with the metalwork or the singing or the fun games. He wasn't pleased with that. He wasn't pleased with their edifice of idolatry. He was angered by it. And his wrath was made known to Israel and resulted in death. Holiness is not done in the work you do to create your own idols. You're not going to achieve holiness by creating your own stumbling block. There's two functions of holiness, positional and relational. It's part of sanctification. It's a big theological word, but I'm going to break down. There was and continues to be some degree that the concept of holiness is being a bit like a monk, to be a hermit, like the Desert Fathers, right? Holiness isn't isolationism, right? That's the third thing. Holiness isn't isolationism. See, holiness is not experienced by the self alone. No one can experience holiness on their own because people aren't holy, but God is. Holiness is something imbued onto the creation. You notice this the same way with the tools 
that people made to minister to God in the tent of meeting, right? All those things had to be created by the maker and then consecrated to be used for God. Isn't it interesting that God takes a slave people out of Egypt and then molds them and consecrates them to be used by him? And isn't it interesting that he takes me, you, takes us out of our idolatry, takes us out of the sin of slavery, and then molds us and creates us into an image to be used by him to display his glory in the world. See, holiness isn't something I could just do on my own through self-actualization or through some modern philosophy or some idea. If I just read enough Seneca and Cicero, man, I'll be holy. No, I've tried it. I failed. I'm not a good man. I can't be God because I'm not God. But luckily, Jesus Christ died for me and imbued to me his righteousness because I had none of my own. To be holy, you have to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit, you have to be a beggar. And to be a beggar, you have to acknowledge you have nothing of your own to take Amen. and put before the throne of God. Right. Nothing except your begs and pleas. Right. That's all I have. We look at an example, because I promised you I'd give you an example, of John the Baptist. He wore camel hair and ate locusts. However, we also know he had disciples. And he was a great minister to the people of God. And he partook in baptizing the repentance. And he prepared the way for the Savior. John's holiness was not in his diet or odd dress. These were symbolic to demonstrate his holiness and his ministry. But you know what? His holiness was in the purpose he was given at birth by God. Amen. Right? Holiness, seen countless times throughout Scripture, not found in the individual. It's found in God's plan for their life. Amen. See, Moses, when he killed that dude, tried to escape Egypt, wasn't being holy. Right. But you know what? Thank God, God's a holy God, and can take a man who's in the midst of Egypt or in the lost in the desert, tending sheep, and use them to tend the sheep of God. Amen. He can take them through his mighty staff, his mighty hand, and move them where he needs them to be. He'll drag them kicking and screaming to the finish line if he has to, because God is sovereign, and he imbues holiness on his people because he loves them, and he needs them to be conformed to the image of his son whom he loves. Holiness isn't something we earn, it's something God makes us. That's what sanctification is. It's the grace of God working in you and resulting in works and in conformity to Christ. Which leads me to my next point. When we think about the holies of holies and it being consecrated and set aside for God's worship, I want us to parallel that with the Christian. Don't you know you're a temple holding the Holy Spirit? Just as the Holy of Holies was consecrated and moved and for the presence of God to be held in, to live in among the people, well, now the Christian is a holy of holies to be consecrated and moved and hold the Holy Spirit inside them. Amen. You and I should have the presence of God in our lives, and that's why we need to be holy. Right. Because we serve a holy God. You see, you might be in the right place positionally. God might take you out to the desert, makes you no closer to God. If you aren't pos if you're positionally close to where God needs you to be, but you aren't relationally close to the Son of God with the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. you aren't holy. I'm not holy. I, we're, I've been in church my whole life, guys. I'm a Pharisee. I'm so zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but that didn't give me any righteousness. It didn't make me holy. I thought showing up and singing songs made me holy. I thought studying the word made me holy. I thought knowing the Bible more than everybody else made me holy. It doesn't. Because I was in the right place and the right time, but I didn't have the right heart posture towards God. Mm. And God wasn't using me. I was using him. Wow. as a way to boost myself up, which is what I've done my whole life. I think any church person, maybe it's just me, can relate to that. I'm so close to spiritually. I'm so spiritual. I was just using spirituality as a mask to cover my own failings instead of allowing God to work in me and make up for me. 
I was just using works to distract from the fact, my good works, to distract from the fact that I was actually doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Wow. I was using my isolation from other people and not loving them and not caring about them and having standards on them that I imposed on them, expecting something in return. I was using the isolation as an excuse to not minister and do what God had me to do. Turns out, I'm not supposed to love people just because it's convenient or because I get something out of them. Turns out I'm supposed to love them whether I get that something or not. Right. And that's something I've had to learn in the last two years. That you can't just take from people and you certainly can't take from God. You have to give freely. Just like God gives freely. Finally, holiness leads men out of Egypt. Leviticus 11.45, I am Lord your God who led you up from Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. What we've kind of seen in the church in the last couple decades has been a pattern where the church takes its cues from Egypt instead of leaving it. Egypt is a premier world power at this time. It's among the oldest, wealthiest, mightiest civilizations to grace the earth. Egypt represented materialism, spirituality, culture, art, wealth, might, and complete idolatry. God led Israel out of that land and freed them from it to make a new nation and new people, not defined by those worldly metrics of man, but by the divine metric of holiness. God leads men out of idolatry, debauchery, materialism, spiritualism, dead, empty paganism. He detests these things and he curses them. Don't be fooled into thinking you can save Egypt by being like Egypt. People are not saved by imitating the measures of the world. We are saved by the measure of a full reliance and faith in a holy Christ. made atonement for us when we didn't deserve it. Coming to holiness. This is where it gets good. I know I've been harsh, but we're going to get into the gentle caress, okay? I love you guys. Luke 15, 11, 24, there's a story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. You should all be familiar with it. But if you're not, I'm going to summarize it for you. So there's a guy in this story who runs from his father, and he wants to be set apart from him. He gathers to him all of his father's wealth, and he sets out to begin to live in worldly status, and he squanders it and wastes it. And then as soon as he lives recklessly, there's a famine. He squandered the gifts of his father and began to be in need. Finally, he hires himself out to do the works of the unclean, to take care of swine, pigs. Once he'd used up the gifts of his father, he had no choice but to sell himself over to the very height of unclean living to fill his own need. How often do we do that? How often do we put pornography, drugs, sex, relationships above ours? About us. We serve them. We actually end up serving the very unclean things that we originally used to satisfy ourselves. This man was serving swine. It was the most unclean, dirty job ever. And he was jealous of the swine. We should rightfully hate and resent sin, but never be in service to it. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, man, I hate the sin, but I'm in complete bondage to it. Whether it's anger or lust or desire for something I shouldn't have. Whether the expectation of love unreturned can't put that on people, but I put that above me because I'd rather serve that than use Jesus as my head. Wow. He sells himself over to the very height of unclean living, and yet he's starving. The prodigal son was enduring isolation from his father, physical suffering through his works, and spiritually was dead by his uncleanliness. Yet it says, when he came to himself. What a wonderful thing. See, this son's identity was, in a sense, gone. He was not himself apart from his father living in the common evil and cleanliness and purpose he himself had chosen. See, man's choices lead him to sin and uncleanliness. When he came back to himself, 
When he came back to who he really was from the beginning, he went to his father. You see, this is the key to holiness. I'm almost done. Remembering our father, that without him, we have no hope, no purpose, no sucker. We see this son of rebellion returns to his father, and the father is waiting for him. Even from that great distance, the father has compassion on his son, and quickly the father closes the distance, running to meet his child. This man in full robe bounds towards the son who left him with love only a parent knows for their child. He kisses him, he embraces him, and immediately the prodigal son is engulfed by his father's presence, and when confronted with this, he admits to his wrongdoing. He asks to be made less than a slave, to be made a hired servant. You see, a slave, today we have this idea that a slave is bad, and a hired servant would be better because it's a paid employee. No, a slave was a part of the household. You actually were physically marked on the ear in the Old Testament to consider you were part of the household, and the master actually had a duty to take care of you. A hired servant was less than a slave. He could be dismissed at any time with no rights, no consideration for his well-being. He could be kicked out. So when the prodigal son comes back and asks to be a hired servant, he's putting himself lower than a slave. See, the prodigal son, when he confronts his father, has nothing but repentance and humility. And it's only when we're submitted to God's purpose and grace that we can pursue holiness. The father, for his part, he considers his son resurrected. For he once was dead, but is now alive. This is holiness. A man coming apart from the worldly covenant, fleeing from the employment of the enemy, and returning to an identity relationally with Christ. This prodigal son fled the land, the Lord, and the pigs he was serving, and sought to serve his father. He didn't hesitate. He didn't bargain anymore with the world. He didn't seek to suffer more in hopes it would get better. He did not seek spirituality. He sought his father. Amen. And while he came back ready to be nothing more than a hired servant, his father puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, sandals on his feet, and a calf on the fire. The gift of holiness is to be set apart from the world, from the Egypt we were once enslaved to, and to approach God as his children being made into the members of the household of faith. Amen. Holiness is not merely being in the house or near a place. It is to be fully embraced, forgiven, and made right with your heavenly Father. Amen. Therefore, almost done. Holiness is to be called to God to obey him to any end and by any means necessary. The prodigal son's story begins with his father giving him inheritance. So our Heavenly Father gives each of his children inheritance of grace at different times in our lives. We live always under his gentle touch, his tender mercy, his good pleasure, until we fall upon hard times far away from the source of our inheritance and blessings. That's just where God needs us for us to return. See, we see the son coming to himself and remembering his father. The children of God are never out of the reach of their father. They can never escape his great love. For God's chosen people, there is never a time when God is not their father. The prodigal son was still just that, his father's son. And once he was brought to that, once that was brought to his remembrance, he dropped what he was doing and turned away from his unclean ways and towards his loving father. We see an admission of guilt and full repentance. The son regrets his actions and acknowledges that he has no right to even serve the father because of his transgressions. That is true repentance. Understanding that you do not deserve the grace nor forgiveness, nor are you worthy to work under your father, let alone earn his favor. The prodigal son came back knowing he was powerless and entirely dependent on the sovereign grace and good pleasure of his father. But now, we reach the magnificent climax. After all that prostrating, we reach the great point in which the father does his work. The embrace, the tender kiss, the happy tears of a parent for their child. A father hurt, scorned, forgotten, and utterly abandoned reaches to his once wayward son with the same love he had when he first held him as an infant. For the father, holding his child upon his return was indeed like holding him for the first time. 
The father ran to meet and reach out to his child, closing that once enormous gap, and he catches on to him the way we might catch on to a toddler taking its first steps. That's what it's like being born again. When you're born again, oh, God knew you. He knew you in the womb. But when you're born again, God holds you like he held an infant, and the very angels cry out and sing, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for his great grace on his creation, that he holds us and looks at us as a child, not by what we've done, but because of who he is. Amen. That he's still our father, Amen. even if we refuse to acknowledge him. Amen. A lot of people spend their whole lives sitting on God's lap, smacking in the face. But you know what? It's G.K. Chesterton, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But you know what? The sons of God realize we've done that. We never want to do it again. That's right. They sit on the lap of their own self-righteousness, their own works, their own spirituality, their own isolationism. And meanwhile, they don't realize their father is waiting for them to acknowledge them, that he loves them, that nothing they could do could ever separate themselves from his great love, that he comes bounding out of the house ready to give them identity, ready to give them the image of his son. Finally, the father takes his son and conforms him back into the image of his son. The robes, the sandals, the ring, they're all free gifts of the father, given freely. Righteousness, authority, and purpose, all fully restored to a child. It all goes to show the salient point. God's call is fulfilled to his children. He's commanded us to be holy, and to be holy is to be conformed to the image of his son. And to be conformed to the image of his son, one must themselves come and remember their father, come out of the slums of Egypt, and embrace God. Amen. What is holiness? Being set apart from the world and held fast in the embrace of our heavenly father. Perhaps you hear these words and you're thinking, how can I be free? How can I be holy? How can I leave the state? Why am I feeding on cleanliness? God provided an alternative for you. God's provided a means for you to be set apart. If you're hungry, come, drink from the fountain of life, eat from the bread of life. He's prepared a means to buy you and has the power to free you. He's ready to draw you to him and feed you with the fattened calf of his grace, mercy, and righteousness. Christ stands ready to adopt you fully into his own home, no longer a slave to the world, but a son of a living God. If you want to be set apart, as God is set apart, if you want to be part of the household of faith, you have to stop eating at the table of Satan. I have to. I have to stop feasting, gluttonizing myself on things that don't matter. The attention of girls, the validation of my peers, the power I get from my job, my strength, my ability, me. It's not about me. It's about submitting to him. If you're ready to be born again, Consider this command before you leave Egypt and join us. Be holy as I am holy. Be free from Egypt and be set apart from the world. Be consecrated to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.